Well, good morning. Hi, my name's Matt. I'm one of the leaders here at Hope City. It's my privilege to get to speak to you this morning that we can learn together um, from the Bible. And I wanted to start today chatting about journeys. I wanted to know who has been on a really long journey. Who's been on a really long journey? I'm not really thinking about miles. What I'm really thinking about here is kind of how long it took you to get somewhere. So who's had, who's had an epically long journey that they'd be willing to, to share something with us about? Where we go? What's the epic journey? You went to Hong Kong. How long did it take to get to Hong Kong? So you weren't walking. 24 hours, so you couldn't possibly have been walking. But 24 hours is still quite a long way. Joe? On a school cruise to Iceland and Norway, a school's cruise to get to Iceland and Norway, two weeks. The currents were against you, obviously. Two weeks to get there. And Peter? Peter tops it all. Um, getting to Kathmandu by road, 26 days, 26 days. Well, I really can't equal that at all. One of the longest journeys we ever had, though, was um, when our first children were really, really young still. Um, we were coming back from the south of France, so another time we lived in Seattle, on the west coast of, um, of America. And first, it was like a short hop from the south of France to Paris. We nearly got stuck there because the car seats wouldn't go through the French security scanners. They have these little gates on, and they were like, no, we cannot help you. It is impossible. And we're like, we have to take the car seats. And then after that, we, we, we flew to somewhere in Canada. Um, I think it was Calgary, uh, if I remember right, but it was just somewhere in Canada. And then after that, we flew on to Seattle. Um, Heather actually took her first steps in the airport lounge, um, in, in this airport lounge, in fact, in, in Calgary. So, so that was quite, a, quite an outcome. It really seemed endless. It really seemed endless, and thankfully our children were too young for the dreaded, are we nearly there yet? But who's heard somebody with that, are we nearly there yet from the back of the car, right? Are we nearly there I am sure, though, that is what they were thinking inside their heads. And as you can see from the larger picture, that is definitely what I was thinking by this stage. And all to save like a few hundred quid. Seriously, we could have like, but anyway, there we go. We learn. Here at Hope City, we talk a lot about this idea of journey. This idea of journey, how there is often a really long journey between our first encounter with the message of Jesus and coming to follow him for ourselves. Research says it's often years in that journey. So, you know, if you're still in that journey, we're so glad you're here this morning and want you to help, help you make progress. But, but we, we talk about journey with two kind of faces, this journey to meeting Jesus, but we believe the journey continues after we meet Jesus, that following him is not the end of that journey. Really, it's, it's a life-changing moment. It's an eternity-changing moment, but it's not the end of the journey. Really, it's just the door to another chapter. And it's our firm conviction that every person in this room is on that journey, whether you're still exploring what it means to follow Jesus or whether you've been following him 60 years or even more. So as we continue working our way through the story of the very first churches, which is what this book of Acts that we're looking at covers for us, today we're going to be looking at a passage that, as I reflect on it, it seems to picture this idea of journey really, really clearly for us But it doesn't just show us the journey taking place. It gives us some really helpful insights into how it is 
that we can move forward in that journey too. So come with me to the book of Acts um, in the Bible, and we're going to pick up the story at chapter 18 and verse 18. We've been following this guy called Paul. He's a key character in the life of the very first churches. We've been following him on his second epic mission trip, and last week we left him in the kind of thriving metropolis of Corinth in Greece. And his story there challenged us, don't be afraid, keep on speaking about Jesus. And as we read about what happens next, look out for this theme of journey as we read together. Who is making progress in their journey of faith? What is it that moves them along in this journey of faith? So it's page 1114 of our Blue Bibles. If you've got one of those nearby, why not open it up and find us? Um, 1114, Acts chapter 18, uh, big 18, uh, verse 18, tiny 18. And um, Alex, I think, is going to read for us this morning. Acts 18.18. Thanks, Matt. Good morning. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off in Centuria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galicia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, where he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Thanks very much, Alex. And that's a great selection of place names that are difficult to pronounce, so I'm going to give you a gold star for that. Fantastic. Now, last week, we had a close-up narrative, right? It was focused in on the details of Paul's time in this one city. This week, what we've read, 
Well, it probably spans a year or more as we understand it. And sometimes we just get this kind of tiny outline sketch of what's happening. Now, there's always more going on in these passages. There's always so much to learn. But we're going to focus in on just two things from that long narrative section. Two things wrapped around this idea of journey that we started with. And first, we're going to look at Paul's encounter with those disciples when he returned to Ephesus to the end of the story we just read. And then we're going to dig into what's going on with Apollos in Ephesus that came a little earlier. So, okay, we're going to do this two things. At the start of our reading, we followed Paul on the return leg of his second huge journey. Maps are always helpful for these things, so let's have a map. Here's a map of his first and second journeys. So we're looking here at that, that, that red arrow is what we're following. So across from Corinth to Ephesus, and then from Ephesus all the way down to Caesarea, okay? Um, just a few, a few short verses, a thousand miles or more across the sea. A brief stopover in Turkey at that place called Ephesus. Um, just ruins today. Ephesus, where he stopped over, was a huge city, but he's like this man on a mission, so he pops in, and he's like, um, Terminator style, I'll be back, and walks out, and he is gone. And um, as it turns out, of course, he actually does come back. So here's his next journey. He goes through this inland path. He starts at Antioch over on the side, through this inland path, and eventually arrives back at this place called Ephesus. Again, another epic journey, maybe a thousand miles overland rather than sea this time. Have you ever walked 500 miles? Have you ever walked 500 more? Well, he totally did, but finally he arrives. And as he arrives in Acts 19.1, we read he meets some disciples. Right, while Apollos was at Corinth, um, Paul takes the road through the interior, arrives at Ephesus, and there he finds some disciples. Now, disciple is one of these kind of Christian-y words, so we really want to kind of unpack that and think about what's inside it. What does it mean? What, what did it mean for them back then? Well, at the simplest level, uh, a, a disciple is like a pupil like a learner, like somebody who is studying under a teacher. But there's a little bit more to it than that because a disciple is somebody who's learning with the intent of becoming like their teacher. They learn with the intent of becoming like their teacher. So, you know, the term apprentice might be another good way of understanding that. An apprentice is somebody who's learning from somebody else. So in the end, they will be able to do what that other person is doing, right? And um, Paul meets these disciples on his return to Ephesus, um, but obviously he can tell something is off. Something's not quite right, so he starts asking questions. They believed, all right, but what have they believed? They're disciples, right? But, but who are they disciples of? And it seems from his conversation that they might be disciples of this guy called John, who is Jesus's forerunner in the Bible, or at least they were disciples of one of John's followers, who hadn't yet grasped the full message of Jesus. See, um, we're in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written by a guy called Luke. He also wrote Luke's gospel, unsurprisingly. And it's kind of one long story. And in Luke's gospel, the story of when Jesus was walking the earth, in chapter three, this guy called John shows up. Now, I very much doubt he looked like that. Definitely didn't have a stick with a ribbon with words on it. That is definitely, and, and definitely not English letters, totally. But just to give you an idea, John's a bit of a wild man, lives in the desert, eats honey and locusts. Mmm, tasty. Um, but he calls people to change their ways. That's his big message. Change your ways because the Lord is coming. You can read about that in Luke chapter 3. And he uses baptism 
as a sign of repentance, that is, as a sign of changing your ways. So the baptism of John that we're talking about here, the one that he's spoken about, is a baptism that is like saying to God, I'm sorry, I've done wrong, I am going to change my ways. And it's a picture of being kind of washed clean from those wrong things. But the big thing these disciples had missed was that this same John spoke about the one coming after him. He says, the one coming after me is going to be more important, bigger, greater. He's going to be the one who really changes things, somebody more significant. And that person had now come. It was no prizes for guessing, Jesus. Now, through Jesus' death and resurrection, you get the full good news, the full gospel, we call it, that's arrived. It's not less than this repentance that John was teaching, that is changing our ways in the hope of forgiveness. John preaches that in Luke 3, 3. Jesus' death on the cross, in fact, is the, the root of our hope in changing our ways and finding forgiveness, Jesus' death on the cross. But it's more than that. Um, through Jesus, we can have a new life, a new kind of life, a, a transformed life starting now. The, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, it says, is going to be alive within every believer. And somehow, Paul can tell when he meets these disciples of John that they don't have that. He could tell they're missing it, so he invites them into it. So you see, Christian baptism is not like John's baptism. It's not just about washing and forgiveness down into the water, but it's also about resurrection, about new life up and out of the water like Jesus rose up and out of the grave. It's about true life. It's about renewed life through God, God himself, God the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of us. And what those disciples experienced there as they received this baptism at the end of the passage we read and for them, there are these supernatural signs demonstrating the reality, this new life beginning, a new life they've been missing. But I want to say to you, if you haven't experienced signs like those yourself, it's, it's really important you know they don't always accompany this. They don't always mark out this new life beginning. For example, um, maybe you'll know the story of the Ethiopian who gets met in the desert, the gospel explained to him, comes to faith, he's baptized. Well, in Acts chapter 8, there's no signs there. Or maybe more significantly for this one, this guy Paul himself, as he's baptized, as his new life begins in Acts chapter 9, no signs accompanying that there either. Now, the, the, the Bible teaches us that every true Christian has the Holy Spirit. We see that, I think, particularly clearly in Galatians, which is one of the letters in the Bible that we worked through recently. Galatians 3.26 tells us this. In Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith, right? So faith is the doorway to being a child of God. And then just a little later in the same section, in the same explanation, it adds to that, and because you're his sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So every son, every child has the spirit. As we're adopted into God's family through faith, all of us receive the spirit, the same spirit into our hearts. You find the same teaching again and again. It's not just there in Galatians. Um, 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells every Christian the spirit's in them. So don't let these signs worry you. If you feel like you've not experienced those signs, don't let that cause you to question whether the truth of God alive within you is real for you as well. Signs important for this particular setting, but it's not universal even um, within the amazing stories of Acts. If you're a child of God 
through faith, you have the Spirit within. Okay, the first scene, a bunch of complicated things in there, even more I could have said. But I want to pull us back out to this theme of journey that we started with. What do you see in this little scene about journey? What do we learn here? Well, if you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a disciple of Jesus, a learner, an apprentice, like we were talking about, seeking to become like him, well, if you wouldn't call yourself a disciple of Jesus yet, you're just on that journey, then I'm so glad you're here today. Really glad you're with us. We believe as a church you are on the most important journey of your life. And we're excited to try and help you keep making progress in that. What I would suggest you can take away from this particular passage would be the importance of getting the full message of Jesus, not just a part of it, right? Those disciples of John had part of the message of Jesus. They had understood that there's in, we have to turn around and change our ways, that there is forgiveness available from God. They had understood part of it. But I want you to try and understand the full message of Jesus. It's not just that we got things wrong. It's not just that we've done things wrong. It's not just that Jesus died for our sins, so we're off the hook, free to do whatever we want any old time. Get the, get the full gospel. And how can you get hold of the full gospel? Well, I want to encourage you to stick with us as we keep working through the Bible and studying what it has to stay with us, to say to us. I want to encourage you to read it for yourself. Go to the source. Um, if you don't have a Bible, take one of these blue Bibles home. Our gift to you, we're delighted for you to have it. Start with the, the Gospels. That's the stories of Jesus, and then keep going. Or if they've got this little black bookcase over here, it's full of free stuff to take away. You can take anything on there away. There are books there designed to help you understand the full message of Jesus. So take one of those home or, or talk to somebody you know who is truly a disciple of Jesus, who's trying to become like him. Talk to somebody who's ahead of you on your own journey. Maybe you know somebody here you could ask. Uh, Maybe you don't. If you don't, Joe talked about short courses we run. Here's another doorway to those. Uncover at Hope City, Edinburgh.org. We arrange for somebody to come and do that with you, to work through the writings about Jesus and to try and understand them. Do it right now. You won't won't regret that. Get the full message of Jesus because it is totally life-changing. And what about... What about if you are a disciple of Jesus, if this really is your goal to become more and more like him? What's here for you? Uh, I would suggest this teaches us to go beyond just labels and challenges us to listen more carefully. It challenges us to ask more questions, to pay attention to what people say and what they do, and try and understand where they're at so that we can help them truly find new life in Jesus. Do, Do people call themselves disciples? Do people claim the label believer or Christian? Well, what does that really mean to them? What message have they heard? Are there parts they've missed? Where are they really in their journey? What's really holding them back? Like, is it a lack of knowledge? Sometimes it's a lack of knowledge. Or is it just the challenge to give up control in our lives, to not wanting to accept or believe what they're hearing? Are there people around you who have made it some way into the journey of following Jesus and then got stuck? They're on pause. They don't really know this new life that Jesus is offering. Well, Paul doesn't just ignore these so-called disciples or go around them like, what did you believe? Oh, you didn't hear about that? You're not my people. Bye now. Um, He actually tries to help them continue on their journey. And could you care like that about the people around you? Let the Spirit 
at work within you. Warm your heart to care more about other people around you. Warm your heart so much that you're willing to open your mouth. So this one scene, these disciples, disciples of John, and coming to know the full message of Jesus. Second big focus this morning for us is this guy called Apollos, who shows up in Ephesus after Paul leaves, and who leaves Ephesus again before Paul gets back. Paul actually does get to know him later on. Um, They become buddies. He writes about him quite a lot in a letter to the church in Corinth later. But in this section, they just totally miss each other like ships in the night. So when Apollos is introduced to us, uh, he comes onto the scene with heaps and heaps of praise. What's right with Apollos? Well, a lot is right with him. Right? This is a list that I'd quite like this list. This is quite a cool list. What do we learn? We learn um, he's a learned man. Okay. Okay. He's a learned man. That makes sense. Coming from Alexandria, it's no surprise. So Alexandria is in Egypt on the north coast of Africa. It's renowned as a center of learning. Uh, it's known as a center for study, for education, for wisdom. It also has a huge Jewish population maybe more than a quarter of the city. So when we're told Apollos has a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, well, that makes complete sense. Because remember at the time, most of our New Testament was not in writing. At the time when they talk about the scriptures, they're meaning the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. So he's knowledgeable in that. And then it adds, well, he's been instructed in the way of the Lord. That's a really early name for Christianity, the way or the road or the path or the journey. So built into that description is the idea that we're talking about, that Christianity is not about a moment. It's about a journey, a way of life, a travel to go on. So he's knowledgeable. He knows the Jewish scriptures. He also knows the path of Jesus. He doesn't just know it. He's trying to share it, and he's not keeping it to himself. He speaks with great fervor. In fact, he teaches accurately about Jesus. He's speaking boldly in the synagogue. He's picking up from where Paul left off before Paul departed. So what is right with Apollos? A lot. A lot is right with Apollos. But there is a problem. Verse 25 also tells us he knew only the baptism of John. Now, that should ring some bells. Hang on. Isn't that these disciples we were just reading about? Um, Are they perhaps then disciples of Apollos? If Apollos only knows about the baptism of John... And these disciples only know about the baptism of John. Could, could, could that be what's going on? I don't think so because of what happens to Apollos next. Um, but I think it does show us that there was plenty of confusion around the message, plenty of half stories circulating as the church was getting started. People's grasp of the message could definitely be patchy. But what happens next here is really rather beautiful as I've thought about it because Priscilla and Aquila, the tent-making entrepreneurs that we met a little bit earlier, guys who are traveling with Paul, they hear Apollos in action, and what they do is they gently pull him aside, Acts 18, 26, and they invite him into their home and explain the way of God more adequately. They invite him into their home. Now, um, Pat was talking to us a few weeks back about the significance of hospitality in this culture, what it means to invite people into your home to accept an invitation, to be accepted. It means in that culture that they are welcoming him. It means that they are willing to associate with him. It means... uh, They're not labeling him an unbeliever or an apostate. They're not confronting him. They don't shoot him down in public. They're not trying to get rid of him. But in private, they do explain the way of God more adequately to him or or more 
accurately because the two words here, he talks about Jesus, he teaches about Jesus accurately, same word, they explain to him the way of God more adequately. It's a kind of comparative version of the word. You know, you can be fast and faster, but it's the same word underneath. So accurate and accurate-er. They, they helped him become accurate-er. Um, so he's already teaching about Jesus accurately. It's not like he's off target, missing the point. He's accurate, but he could be more accurate still, more precise, more complete. His knowledge was limited to the baptism of John. And it's likely their conversation about that fuller understanding of baptism, about the Spirit of God coming to live within us is at the heart of what they're explaining to him, what they're exploring with him. Maybe, maybe he just doesn't quite understand how it works. Maybe he knew the outline, but he's like, yeah, but how? Or, or maybe he doesn't understand quite what it means for us. Maybe he's hazy and becomes clear, or he's got an outline and he gets the detail that's not spelled out for us. So the kind of fault in Apollos' learning is not the main thing this passage wants to teach us. But their intervention here does bear fruit because later on in the passage we read, Apollos wants to go um, to help elsewhere. And he doesn't get like a, I don't think so, Apollos. Somebody like you, you're a bit wishy-washy, kind of off the mark. Instead, he gets their endorsement, their support. They even write a letter commending him. And we're told when he arrives, he's a great asset. Again, like lots of things going on here. It's interesting stuff. I think it's interesting stuff. You're probably like, it is. It's interesting stuff. Um, But what do we learn from this episode with Apollos? Well, one commentator I read puts it this way. He says two things here. He says, Apollos ministers even though he's got more to learn. And then he says, on the other hand, Priscilla and Aquila encourage him to grow even as they recognize he's an effective minister. This is interesting, and we use the word minister as kind of Christianese for serving God, doing his things, okay? I think these are two big things for us to wrestle with, and again, they bring us back to that idea of journey that we've been talking about this morning. So first, we've got this encouragement, or a challenge, depending on where you're sitting, that we really can usefully speak, even though we've got more to learn. I think for some of us, the truth is we've got this little defense inside of us that we put up that says, I'm not ready. I haven't learned enough. I, I don't get it all. I'm a bit patchy. I need some more training. I need to understand better or I need to understand more accurately. But actually, it is time to speak. Now, maybe that is standing at the front, right? Maybe that's the right place for you. But maybe it's just time to speak to a friend over lunch. The truth is that every one of us could know the way of the Lord more accurately, more adequately, even if we're learned, even if we've got a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, even if we've been instructed like Apollos here. In fact, Paul, the guy at the center of this story, is clear he himself is still on this journey, that he has not arrived, Philippians 3.12. So if, on the other hand, you think you are the guy, the girl, who has it all together, that you have grasped it and you are finished. Well, you are wrong. Like, none of us does. So it's really important that you humble yourself. Don't make God humble you. But this fact that we're all on a journey, right? This fact that our knowledge is incomplete, partial, not always perfectly accurate, that doesn't disqualify us from speaking. 
It's definitely true that we can use it as an excuse for not stepping forward, for not speaking. Now, there can be problems, right, when people who don't have a good grasp on things pick up the mic. But that's not the only danger here. It's also a real danger that we use our place in this journey just to step back from an opportunity to speak. God is perfectly able to use even imperfect speech. Okay, so that's one side, I think, that has a challenge for us. Apollos ministers, even though he's got more to learn. The other side is that Priscilla and Aquila help him grow. We, we have a call here to help others grow. Now, again, we can get this wrong, right? If you're the kind of person who sees errors, gaps, who picks up on questionable words and phrases, anytime anyone around you ever says anything, this does not demand you must always rush the stage, right? We don't have a call here to um, grab them and pull them off the stage anytime anyone puts one foot off the mark. Priscilla's not in there like with a rugby tackle in the middle of the synagogue as Apollos speaks. Now, there is a time for that, but it's just not every time, right? Perhaps more of a danger, I think, truthfully, in many of our cultures would be falling off the other side, never saying or doing or questioning anything. I think it is a challenge for us not to always overlook, always let it go, always hold back when somebody we think really has missed the mark. What we're actually choosing to do when we do that is we're, we're choosing not to help them grow. It can be hard to raise issues with someone, right? It can be easier to stay silent. There's a call to help others grow here, not to leave them part-formed. But it is also a beautiful call to do that gently and with respect, right? So if there's someone you know who could benefit from understanding the way of God more adequately, invite them to lunch. When's, when's the last time you talked about faith, uh, about Jesus, uh, about doctrine with others in your home? Others, perhaps, that you're a little ahead of in your faith journey. Tell you what, do you need to explain the way of God more adequately to me? Because I want to tell you the truth, that is that I have not arrived. Yes, I have studied these things, but you know what I mostly learned from my study? There is always more to learn. I don't have it all right. You could be the right call, and I'm not above it by any means. That's not the sort of church we are. But gently and respectfully, please, and uh, preferably with a good meal. I'll totally take that. <clears throat> It's more likely to win people around anyway than a, a direct attack. So, so, okay, to recap, okay, the idea of journey. It's woven throughout this morning's passage. And at Hope City, we really do believe that we are all on a journey. We believe that none of us, not one of us has arrived. And today's passage reminds us we've got room to keep moving forward no matter where we are on our journey. And it gives us some pointers for how we might do that, how we might help other people do that too. So as we close, I want to give you just 30 seconds to stop and think, what is God saying to you this morning? How can you journey on? How can you help others journey on? 30 seconds and then I'll pray. Let me pray. 
Father God, thank you that you are such a gracious God. Thank you for the amazing message of Jesus, that there is forgiveness with you through the cross, and we repent and believe. But more than that, that there is new life for us through the resurrection when we repent and believe. Help us. Help us as we move towards grasping and living out this whole full message. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would truly be disciples, people who are working and trying to become more and more like our master, our Lord, our Jesus. And Lord, I pray that um, even as we talk about journey, that we would see real steps taken and real progress made in our journeys and in others' journeys. Help us as we listen to what this passage has to say and think about what we're going to do with that. Help us, I pray, to be a place that encourages one another, that has this gentleness about it, but this common intent to see one another know more adequately and more accurately, more fully, the wonderful truths about who you are and what you have done. Amen.